Hello and welcome to the Music Ally weekly podcast uh, taken from the Music Ally weekly TV show that's broadcast every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. UK Time uh, on Zoom. Uh, now, uh, this week we had a really interesting discussion with Tersha Willis, co-founder and CEO of Terrible Merch, the innovative artist-focused merchandise company, and she joined us to discuss how merchandise can be used to create close connections with fans as well as reliable and valuable income streams um, during this coronavirus period, or outside of coronavirus, of course. Um, so uh, she talked about some really interesting stuff, uh, how to uh, make merch that really works well with your fan base and your artists and how it can form a bit a part of a uh, artist's income in the new industry that's being shaped post-coronavirus. Uh, it was hosted by me, uh, Joe Sparrow from Music Ally, and features Hen Heimdall of CD Baby, uh, Patrick Ross, Music Ally's SVP of Digital Strategy, and of course, as always, Music Ally editor Stuart Dredge, who is going to start by telling us about two of the most important news stories of the week. Um, wow. So Goldman Sachs put out a report every so often about how big the music industry is going to be. Uh, and the latest one has bad news and good news uh, in it. So the bad news is they reckon revenues will drop by 25% this year. Now that's for recorded music plus live plus publishing. So the whole music industry, not just recorded. And they reckon that live revenues drop by 75%. Mm. Um, recorded music will grow by 3% and publishing by 3.5%, which is kind of still growth, but quite a slowdown from previous years. So it kind of saying basically live will drop off a cliff for obvious reasons uh, and everything else will slow down a bit. So that was kind of a bad news story, but behind it, there was still the champagne glass stuff, yes. which is they reckon that by 2030, the music industry will be worth $142 billion a year, again, across live and recorded and publishing. Um, and they reckon that streaming alone will be worth 75 billion a year by 2030. Where does that uh, growth come from? Because that's a huge increase. Made up numbers by analysts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, um, yeah, so it's basically this, the growth of streaming, the growth of streaming subscribers. So they reckon there'll be 1.2 billion paid music subscribers by 2030. And I think the, the, the figure from the IFPA recently was about 341 million now. So it's not mm. far off tripling by 2030, and that's where they think the money will come from. And they reckon streaming will be worth will be 86% of all the recorded music revenues by 2030. So, so it's kind of one of those things saying, yeah, things are in trouble this year, particularly in live, but they're going to bounce back, and we're all going to be rich by 2030. Um, the one big, huge caveat that you have to kind of talk about here is that Goldman Sachs isn't just like an independent analyst. They own shares in right. companies in this thing. So they own shares in Tencent Music and Vivendi, Universal's parent company, and they do investment banking for Spotify and Alphabet and Tencent Music. And they, they disclose all this. There's nothing underhand. They disclose in the report. But there is kind of this, if they're saying everyone's going to be rich by 2030, that includes companies they have a stake in or are working for and so you kind of have to be aware, like, like anything, you have to disclose, you know, it's quite good yeah. for Goldman Sachs if the industry grows very fast. Um, of course. How we spoke last week uh, in a very uh, impassioned and, uh, you know, intricate conversation about the broken record debate, which is the amount of money that's reaching artists um, from streaming. Mm. Is it as simple enough to say, if streaming revenues triple, artists will get three times as much, or is it more complicated than that? <laughs> it would be nice. It would tell everything. No, so I mean, it's true that, that one of the big things about the broken record debate is if the revenues of streaming go up, 
artists' payouts go up, they get more money. So that's, so in a sense, the industry growth is good for artists, but I think already this Goldman Sachs report is kind of filtering into that debate in a, in a, in a less, less positive way. You know, artists saying, well, hang on a minute, the industry is going to make loads of money, like literally it's enormous growth. Well, are we going to see a fair share of that? And if we are an engineering growth, let's talk about how we fix it so that we get what we think is a fair share. So in a way, this report saying the industry is going to be growing massively. It's more grist in the middle of the people who are saying, yeah, we need to fix these things though, because otherwise all the money goes to certain people and not to people who create music. So yeah, so it's kind of, it's part of that debate, but yeah, it's certainly not, oh, everyone's going to be rich. We'll join in the champagne drinking. I think it's going to be, these figures will be quoted in that debate a lot by artists saying, well, come on then, let's sort this out. Yeah. Because if there's that much money going in, there should be a lot more money coming out. And of course, one thing we can discuss later with Tertia is what are the uh, ways that perhaps streaming platforms can um, add in functions to buy things like merchandise and, and other thing, items and virtual items maybe, to increase the money flow going into uh, streaming platforms. Yeah, I mean, the other thing as well about the Goldman Sachs report is it's, you can sort of question the, the numbers and say, well, they have interest in this, but these kind of figures floating about does help a lot of music companies in what they're doing. So whether you're trying to raise loads of money to buy a publishing catalog, whether you're like a small independent label trying to get a bank loan to set your business up, like these numbers out there possibly will help you because you can say, look, this important investment bank says our industry is going to triple in value or double in value. Uh, so I'm in a market that's growing and that's why I should have this money to do anything. So I think a lot of people will be able to use these figures to, to get money in, to get investment. And that is a good thing. So in that sense, that's kind of a positive thing. Like, like the optimism from the financial community should help investment coming into the industry. Mm. Good. And uh, speaking of giant money and a uh, massive uh, inflation of uh, figures. Mm. The big news for this week is uh, sort of not a, a non-music uh, story, if you like, but it's definitely an important music story in another sense. Uh, Spotify signing Joe Rogan. <laughs> that, wow, there, you there you are. There he Where is. Yeah, the um, Thinking Bros podcast, Joe Rogan. What, what does this mean? Well, it's quite interesting because all us British people have had to, a lot of us have had to go, who is Joe Rogan, <laughs> to go and Google him. Because he's, he's a massive star in the US. He really is a big star. And he's got a global audience as well. He's not just a US star. But yeah, so he is, um, he was like a, he was an ultimate fighting commentator at one point. And then he became a sports broadcaster and a podcaster. And he's built this podcast, which is an enormous hit on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube. It's not been on Spotify. He actually gave an interview a while ago and he said, I'm not on Spotify, it doesn't make sense. But yeah, so Spotify is paying somewhere north of $100 million. Um, so the Wall Street Journal said more than $100 million. I saw some people saying, no, it's $200 million, uh, to license his podcast exclusively. So they're not buying it. They're not buying him. They're just licensing it for multi-years, since how many years. Uh, and at the end of it, he can strike another deal or renew or get a little money. Um, and it's, it's the biggest single show deal they've done. Like they've spent money on podcasting companies before it's bigger, but this is the biggest like single, we're going to shell out this money to have this show only on us. So from September, it will be on Spotify as well as everywhere else. But from the end of the year, you'll only be able to listen to his show on Spotify, although you better watch clips on YouTube. He is the biggest podcaster and his YouTube audience is enormous and his podcasting audience is enormous. Mm. Um, what is this? And so in that sense, it's a, a reasonable investment, I guess, for Spotify. But what does it mean in a, in a music sense? Because, if, because his shows are long. There's hundreds of them. He, mm. This is for his huge audience. He's going to eat into Spotify's music listening, right? Well, that's the, that's the 
the thing that's already been talked about. So yeah, so it's weird. So for Spotify, it had immediate effects. So like when Spotify announced this deal, the same day its market cap, its valuation went up by a billion dollars. And I believe by the end of the next day, Spotify was worth $4 billion more than it had been before it announced this show. So in a way it spent a hundred million dollars and it's suddenly worth four billion more, which is quite good business. Like I was trying to think, what could I say on this show announced that makes us worth four billion more? <laughs> but there's very little really, uh, other than that I'm, I'm not coming back next week and then we'll see a spike. <laughs> um, so that tells you what the markets think about Spotify's podcast push. Like the financial markets love the idea of Spotify paying hundred million dollars to get Joe Rogan exclusively. Um, but yeah. For music people's point of view, I think some of you might have to jump in in a minute because I think Joe may have frozen. Um, for the market's point of view, from music's point of view, it's kind of like, oh God, they're spending all this money on a podcaster. Podcasting is growing. Does this mean we're going to get less money eventually? Um, and that's kind of a little running, well, not running sore. I think it's a thing that labels are quite sensitive about podcasting into music. And so this was like another reminder oh, yeah, they're spending big money on podcasts. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously one, Stu, that we've been talking about for a while, as you and I know, um, of, of talking about this. And every time, personally, I go and present some of this information to the labels, um, there's, there tends to be a healthy fear in the audience of this thing's really good. And we do, you know, know lots of our label partners that we've been talking about and the podcast report that, that, that you worked on. Um, but it is, a, it is this sort of, sort of dangerous area where we're looking at opportunities for music, but also understanding the competition of entertainment, right? Yeah, and I think you're seeing this in the press. Like the, the thing is that at the moment, rights holders get a certain percentage of Spotify's royalties because Spotify was a music service. And the, the thing that gets talked about is, well, what happens if Spotify achieves its goal, which is talked about of having 80% of listening be non-music stuff? Well, wouldn't Spotify turn around and say, well, you can have, eight, you can have your share of 80% of our royalties, but if 20% of it isn't music, why should you have that money? Uh, and that's the kind of the anticipated fear. And I think at the moment, it's not part of the licensing deals, but it's been part of the talks, I think. They were saying, how do we make sure we still get our, our deal? Um, but then the other thing is the musicians side of things. So again, back, coming back to this broken record debate, you're already seeing musicians on Twitter and places saying, hang on a minute, they're trying to pay us less royalties, which is a reference to the US, the songwriter royalties case where Spotify is appealing. And they're saying they're going to pay us less, but they're suddenly paying these podcasters hundreds of millions of dollars. So there, there is kind of a, there's a, attention i think every time spotify does something big in podcasts which the markets love music people get a bit more uh, um spotify's argument that it has put is that actually people who listen to podcasts are more engaged with music so the more we do podcasts the more people license music and the better from, so the, there's kind of there's two sizes spotify says every move they make in podcasts will help the music industry um kind of interesting the other thing is spotify's value went up massively if you were a music company who's held on some spotify shares your Spotify shares would have gone up equally. So in a way, Joe Rogan might have made some money from labels who hung on to their equity in Spotify. But that's kind of, a, again, mm. a slightly sensitive issue because musicians maybe aren't getting that money. I think Joe's back. It's, interesting. Just... it's, inter it's interesting, isn't it? Because as, this, as Spotify try and become this audio company of, where they're broadcasting or, or sharing all sorts of audio, it'd be interesting to see how musicians, if they start to feel marginalized, it would be interesting to see soon as uh, podcasting listening goes up, how that affects the bottom line for musicians. And perhaps that's something we won't know yet, but it certainly is a, a really big question, especially around what kind of company uh, Spotify is. Yeah, and the other thing as well is that the, 
the more Spotify pushes into podcasts, there are opportunities for musicians there. There are shows to guest on. There's mm. potential to do their own shows. Um, Spotify is investing in some original music podcasts. So there is, there is. It's, it's again, like it's everything. It's, it's kind of complicated. Like people get cross because they are thinking about Spotify spending money on something that's not music. But in other ways, there are musicians investigating podcasts as a new stream of revenue. So it's all. I think a lot of the, the debate is about anticipating what might happen. Spotify might pay us less royalties, we might get squeezed out, but there's a long way to run, I think, in this yet. And, and I think you can always find some, some positives. It's, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because, I mean, I can all make some assumptions of what perhaps our guests from last week, uh, Tom Gray and Sammy Andrews, might say about it. But again, this is a very complex and, and developing market, isn't it? And you could also, put, as an example, say with Apple Music, they invested very heavily in creating original radio content, what they call radio content, mm -hmm. but it's not a million miles away from uh, podcasting uh, and, and having that sort of parallel st stream alongside the music. And it seems to be something that people like there, although we don't know how many listeners they have for those things. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. Like, I was trying to think what would be the Spotify deal that involves paying $100 million to someone in music that sends their share price soaring by $4 billion. You know, there's... They, I mean, that's maybe the case for me to make. Like, what is what is the kind of stuff that musicians can do that would would help? So yeah, so it's it's but it's it is really interesting. I mean, the other thing I think about Joe Rogan is he's kind of controversial, isn't he? He's he's kind of been a controversial figure sometimes. Mm. Like, he's had people on his show who have been linked with the white supremacist movement sometimes. He's made some off-color comments occasionally. Um, mm. I think Spotify might be finding out the more you do in podcasts is you start to have these things. Of if a podcaster says something that people get cross at, you're in the position of the being the moderator. And Spotify does moderate hate content in music. Yeah. So if, it'd be interesting if Joe Rogan said, yeah, I want to have someone on who's like a, a white supremacist or uh, a, yeah. I don't know. Like that might be the interesting moment of, oh, wow, we invested loads of money in this and now maybe we have a dis disagreement over the content. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch, but uh, it, it, the, the devil will be in the detail of how long it is and, and how many people listen to it. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, thanks, Stu. Two very uh, fascinating stories there. And uh, if you enjoyed hearing Stu's uh, very good analysis of just two of the week's big stories there, then of course, make sure you signed up for Music Allies weekly, uh, daily newsletter and um, all the analysis that Music Ally puts out um, to, uh, to to the, the subscribers. So thanks very much, Stu. Uh, you're going to uh, you're going to hang around with Joe Rogan now and probably, I don't know, talk about whatever hallucinogenic interested into <laughs> no, this week. I'm looking forward to this. As a person whose last two items of merchandise were a Chemical Brothers mug and a Courtney Barnett pair of socks, I'm kind of, well, I'm a middle-class merchandise buyer, so I want to kind of see what's coming next for the kids. Yeah, I mean, you must be one of the key audiences, uh, I would imagine. So yes, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks, Stu. And uh, great to see you and see you next week, of course. So uh, Stu's going to uh, leave us now. And that brings us on to the main event. Uh, before we do get to uh, Tusha and uh, merchandise, next week, remarkably, we're joined by a superstar DJ, uh, Martin Jensen, who uh, has uh, 12 million monthly listeners and nearly a billion plays on Spotify. He's been uh, connecting with his audiences on a series of live streams in the last few weeks uh, that generate millions uh, of, of viewers each time. So uh, he's gonna be here to talk about connecting with audiences as a, a superstar or a, uh, in his genre. Um, 
uh, and, and what to do and, and how to best connect with your audience. And part of that, I imagine, as Patrick is frantically running around in the background for some reason, uh, is, is, to do, is to do with the way of building up a close connection with your, your audience and then uh, selling merchandise to them. Which brings us on to today's topic, which is that innovative merchandising in the coronavirus era. Uh, now, Tusha, you are the co-founder and CEO of Terrible Merch, which is, of course, a great name for a merchandise company because um, we are all obliged at this point to point out that your merchandise is not terrible. It is excellent. <laughs> um, so that was a clever bit of thinking. Now, your uh, company is one of the more modern merch companies that are making sort of innovative, artist-focused, high-quality merchandise uh, as a deliberate um, strategy. And uh, what we want to talk about is two things, really. How is that market changing in, in we were always talking before and after coronavirus, but how has the market changed in recent years? What, uh, you know, is merchandise these days and what does it mean to artists and to fans? And the second part is how can artists looking to build the connections with the fans today use merchandise in an innovative and, and good and, and you know, effective way? So uh, first of all, what is the state of play in merchandise? What have you seen? Well, um, and let's start with like, the, I guess the COVID update. Um, merchandise, yeah. in the first three weeks that it happened, we basically spent uh, three weeks getting merchandise back from artists just dropping their tours and flying back to the US and getting back. And we were getting things, trying to get merch back from lockdowns, um, from touring. And we had this moment where we looked at it and we're like, okay, touring's gone. Uh, and touring may be gone for the next 18 months. It could be up to five years if we're really useless at finding um, you know, a vaccine, uh, which we can't put it past anyone that it could take that long because that's the, the record of it. So uh, it, everyone kind of went into like a bit of, like we all got a little shell-shocked over it. And uh, and then we realized that um, there was this amazing opportunity that had, hasn't actually yet had its moment, which was e-commerce. And I think within a few weeks, everyone realized that e-commerce is actually something that hasn't been done right and has become really important. So the artists started to have actually started to, to build their online businesses and take them quite seriously and have a have a good like eye on them. And I think uh, people like Bandcamp have been responsible for that by having their first that first Friday of every month where they don't take any commissions, but also just artists realizing that the only way that they're going to be able to start a financial relationship with their fans is uh, by having them purchase something. And the only thing that the only way they can do that at the moment is merchandise. Um, so we actually saw a huge commitment from artists to like making great products and making them in the right numbers and building an online presence and making things, making that experience like a valuable one. Um, but also being, a, we're, I mean, we, we curate our roster. So we're lucky enough. Um, we're lucky enough to only work with great artists that are, you know, that we pick. So we kind of have a different perspective on this, I guess, to other merchandise companies, but um we saw, you know, we saw a lot of artists just making a few products that were really, that they, they knew their fans really wanted, that they put a lot of care and time into. And that sold out, um, you know, sold out pretty much instantly because they weren't over making them or they weren't trying to like flog old tour merch. They were making something that was really considerate that they knew their fans could afford and that they would want. And um, so we've seen online kind of grow in like a really great way. Um, and, and the focus being on merchandise rather than uh, physical music, which for you know for us is um is vital because artists make more money on their merchandise than they do on physical music so it's a yeah. great step for them building their businesses and and what is that like in relation to uh, let's say before coronavirus but in recent years um merchandise has obviously been a, a really interesting and expanding area especially for artists perhaps who are uh, uh, independent uh, 
what has it been like in the last few years then that market and, and what what sort of trends have you seen um well i mean live music is uh live music kind of has been growing and growing massively right up until the point of the pandemic um so obviously merchandise is a huge part of that um merchandise has become something that helps artists also chart in recent years so you can see with the majors they use merchandise to bundle things to help music chart um which doesn't always benefit the artist um, when it's when it's bundled that way for releases but um live music has kind of been where it's at there's an old-fashioned model of merchandise where mostly merchandise companies are making money from it and not actually the artists so they'll get paid in advance and they won't really see any of their live music uh merchandise revenue because it's on a royalty system that's that's rigged as bad as record deals are um and yeah but there's there's been a bigger focus on it um, at, at show and um, the artists we work with have seen their merchandise sales steadily increase and kind of like surpass their physical music sales at shows. I think um, about 65% of all trans all like merchandise bought is now uh, actual merch and or anything bought at show in the secondary sales kind of sector is now, um, you know, is actual merchandise rather than, than music. So it's become far more important than it used to be. Um, and it is, yeah, it's, it's the most, Obviously at live, that's where fans make that emotional connection with, you know, with the artist and they're more encouraged to buy and shop. And uh, we've seen artists become more aware of that as they aren't able to sell physical music. So as they're becoming more aware, and your proposition is that you're looking for high quality and thoughtful merchandise, which connects with their fans. Can you give us some examples of, of what a good example of that might be in terms of finding the right thing for the right fans? I mean, it, yeah, so it varies. Every single artist is different. Every single artist needs to be treated differently. But like, for instance, um, you know, we've made, uh, we made money for like a grime artist. We, well, we made fake money. I wouldn't make real, we made him money as well, but we made, um, right. we made some fake 50p coins because uh, one of his lyrics was like, uh, my, you know, my head's shaped like a 50p coin. So we did that and those sold out instantly because fans were obviously really connected to his, um, you know, to his lyrics and, and this little kind of like token of that came through and that was really cool. Um, otherwise, you know, we've been doing with, there's like a, there's like a great kind of thing of um, making, uh, making high quality bad merch, uh, you know, so like printing kind of really like cut out photos and things. And that's been really, that's been a pretty cool trend amongst like South, South London bands mostly, uh, which is fun. Uh, the other exciting things we made recently is uh, we made, bucket hats for afros uh for one of our kind of more like uh you know one of our rap artists and uh she was like well none of my fans can wear regular bucket hats because they have afros so we cut out the top and made those right. um and yeah everything's made really high quality and is really relevant to the fans it, it does vary artist to artist some artists are t-shirt fans you know like they can sell tons of t-shirts and others they need something a little more exciting, like their own flavor of incense because the drummer burns incense every night on stage on their drum set. So we'll make, you know, we'll make something like that. Right. Right. So really atypical. Patrick, you have a burning question. Yeah. So one, I wanted to just to, to recognize that, that I was looking at the other day, um, what you said about, you know, artists actually helping to chart. I think the Selena Gomez uh, example of, of Rare was like a really big one and people can go away and read about that. But obviously having exclusive merchandise uh, tied around um, did actually help that. But yeah, for from the audience, we've got two kind of questions um, 
just to, to be clear, uh, Tarja, mm. um, asking when we're talking about merch, are we always talking about physical items? And do you ever consider digital goods? Um, or the question actually asks things like Patreon, obviously, which is a membership. I suppose that's kind of a different category. But do you ever consider anything outside of actual physical merch? Does that come into this realm? I mean, recently we've been asked to uh, make some screensavers and uh, things like that uh, for like kind of a 90s themed artist. But, um, you know, the emotional connection comes from having a physical product in your hands is something that um, it, it can last for like years. And I think there's a huge value in an actual physical product, although I kind of think that Travis Scott um, in Fortnite is a really good example of the skins that he sold in there as like digital merchandise, but that is a really specific setting of gaming. Um, and I think that is, that's something that's really exciting. I don't know if Travis Scott made money on that. I hope he did. I hope he got a cut of all those um, Fortnite skin slides. He made a lot of money from that as far as- uh, Well, yeah, we, I don't know if he made money from the merch from that because here's the thing is like, who who's it licensed to, how is it tied up? Um, one would assume that that's all going back to his merchandise company. Or like, is, is that, you know, did Fortnite pay him a fee and did he get that? It's, it's kind of like where, how the revenue is divided, um, mm. which is, I guess, an interesting kind of development in, in the music industry online now, um, where live events aren't happening at the moment. I think the, uh, Stuart, who's no longer in the chat, uh, he actually wrote quite a, a long piece analyzing that. So I think we'll, perhaps we can find that and share it in the chat. Uh, he broke down some of the earnings as well in that. So yeah, a really good example. Um, do you ever work with artists, for instance, who do have, for instance, they have a Patreon and they take so much per month from their artists and as part of a reward, they, they have regular merchandise that they send out? Um, well, actually, the one thing, we are working with an artist on Patreon, um, Beverly Glenn Copeland, who uh, is incredible, uh, like really culty artist. Um, but uh, he has, um, Glenn basically has, um, he lets his fans have access to things sooner. And, um, and uh, he also gives them discounts on certain things rather than actually making products for it. Because I think when it comes to Patreon, like people understand that there's a process in the, in the making of art um, in the making of music and the making of something that mm. isn't necessarily accounted for in the business side of selling a product. Um, so they get a little discount or they get access to a limited number of things early is kind of the benefits we've seen. Uh, that's how we've seen people using it. I'm sure right. there are other ways. Yeah, but, sure. Um, Hen, perhaps we can uh, introduce you at this point because I, I realize we haven't talked to you yet. Now you deal with, we, we often talk to you again with, from the perspective of dealing with, you deal with a whole range of artists across the board. Um, we often talk about dealing with artists at the sort of the bottom of the pyramid who are, are, are big enough to have, sorry? Emerging, that's the nice word. Emerging, thank you, yes. Uh, grassroots uh, artists. Are, uh, they have an audience, and they're, but they're look, in that growth phase. They're looking for growth of audience. They're looking for the growth and the connection. They're looking to, to get bigger. What uh, Tasha has identified immediately is that it's really important to understand your audience. Uh, how do you sort of, uh, one question I hear a lot is how do you do that? What's, what's good advice for finding out and what they want? I mean, I guess at the beginning stages of your career, most of your live show is going to be filled with your family members, your friends, your mother, and a couple of other mates that have been dragged along to the shows. And I think it's just about kind of spending a lot of time after the shows and talking to the people, the more and more people that come to your shows and try to kind of identify what kind of characters they are. I think qualitative research like that can be, can be really, really important. And then, you know, m most, most emerging artists, maybe especially within the sort of guitar scene, will start off with 
one run of black t-shirts, a couple of stickers and maybe a tote bag or something, you know, and, and they'll see how it goes if they sell out or, or if there's more interest for certain types of products. And I think, I think fans are quite responsive when it comes to merch as well. You know, they're, they're quite, they're quite willing to share their opinions, especially at 11 o'clock in a pub after they've had three beers. Yeah. I, so drinking and talking is your general advice. Is that, yeah, good. Uh, in that situation, then, you were talking about inventive merchandise, you know, taking a hat and cutting the top out of it or minting uh, fake money, which is technically a crime, I guess. Um, absolutely, it's absolutely a crime. Um, yeah, do not yeah, do that good. at home. No, no, I agree. Come okay. to us and we'll do it. Okay, good. <laughs> That's uh, good, good to hear. Um, uh, how, is it difficult? Do you find it's make those bold steps to go from thinking outside of the shirt and tote bag box? Um, I mean, you know, we, we, when we work with an artist, we work really closely with them and we try to push them farther, like further out of that box if that's who their audience is. Now you might just have a six music dad audience who wants to buy a t-shirt. Um, but you might also have, uh, you know, you might also have um, some, some really younger people who like can't actually afford a 20 pound t-shirt. So you need to like accommodate them with something that kind of gives them an access route into you and, and being able to like invest in you as an artist. Um, it really does. Yeah. There's a lot of things that come into account with it. I think um, you have to consider, you have to consider, yeah, the artists, their fans. Um, a lot of artists are strongly opinionated about their merchandise and a lot really don't care. Um, the one thing this pandemic has done has made artists care. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, if we think there's a great fit of a product um, that's a little out there and a little different, we'll suggest it uh, and maybe they'll take it and maybe they won't. I mean, normally I'll say that when we work with artists, they've come to us and we've, we, we've kind of agreed to work together because they want something different to what everyone else is making. Um, you know, uh, they don't want just another Gildan t-shirt with a yeah. print on it from, you know, an online corporate merchandising company that they can upload an image to yeah um, um patrick can I, ask a, can I ask a little question on this given last week's episode and talking about broken record and talking about streaming um there were some questions posed about should we be using this as an ex uh, as a time to to help change and inform consumer behavior um and me i should have my consumer behavior better than anyone's because i've worked in this and we all should right um and i had a, a, a band one of my favorite bands Starfucker. um i saw that they canceled a seven-week tour i could their fans were attacking them it was horrible and i went to go listen to their new album and i sort of did the maths and realized i'd have to listen to it 2500 times to get them a 50 dollars t-shirt the same price so i just went straight over bought a t-shirt that i've wanted for a while um, and is there is this actually an opportunity for for the artists to come forward and explain why they're doing this? We all know that they're hurting, that it's big news right now, uh, and we're talking about all these other things that we're trying to fix. But for them to actually go forward and explain to people that this has always been important, and in fact now is the time to educate the consumer. Well, I think yeah. First of all, it's actually become important to the artists. Secondly, I think artists shouldn't be ashamed of running a successful business. They should be acting like Apple does or Supreme does with queues outside their stores or queues at the merch table. They should be creating that kind of demand with their fans, and they shouldn't be ashamed of it. Like twenty-first century retail operation, and if you're doing it online, do it online. But um, yeah, this is this, this isn't a time to be ashamed of like you being a great entrepreneur and making and making your business work and making it thoughtful and considerate. It's also an opportunity for artists to actually make merch that follows their values or ideals. And I think the one thing that's really important to us is that artists can't sustain themselves by selling their tour merch as um, 
selling their tour merch and kind of donating it to charity and that fans need to be aware of that and they should be supporting that. Um, and merch is a really, you know, it's the most likely way you're going to be able to give money to an artist as well, especially independent artists. It might be a little different um, with the majors, but, uh, you know, merch, uh, merch is like a direct, it's almost like a direct deposit to artists. They get the money relatively quickly uh, from their online stores or if they're selling it themselves, they get it instantly. And that, that really does help them pay rent, you know, make more music, uh, save up for the next tour, the next album. Merch really does like build that kind of, like if you know and they shouldn't be ashamed of it like it's what's it's what enables them to make great music um yeah they should be running it like a business and they should be proud of it do you think that there's a change there's a shift in understanding on the audience side of the economics and that and particularly maybe recently with coronavirus and art has been very open about their earnings do you think that they understand more as a, as a fan, they have a sort of, not a responsibility, but if they want to help their artists, they have to do things like buying merchandise. Is that a noticeable change? Um, I mean, they, there's definitely, we're seeing that. Um, obviously, there's a thing about who's been affected and who hasn't in the virus um, and who can afford and who can't. And that's the beautiful thing about merch is that if you can afford it, you can buy it. Um, so unlike a ticket for like a digital streaming event or something like that, like you're being denied access if you don't have spare money. Merchandise is something that if you can, you can participate. And if you can't, like, you know, you can save up and do it later. Or uh, so it's, it's not, um, you know, it doesn't exclude someone from an activity with like a paywall, but it's, it's there for people who can afford it, which I think is a really nice, you know, that's a really great way to support an artist if you can afford it. And it's also really not demanding that your fans who can't afford it are denied access to you because of it. Mm. Uh, perhaps throwing a question over to Hen Patrick, you know, you both work in, in various different ways promoting artists. Is your sort of recommendation when, when working with artists as a, a good way to use merchandise to help grow uh, either grow the audience or grow the, the strength of connection between an artist and their fans? Yeah, I think, I think you should always be looking at all these different pieces of the cake as one whole thing. I think they should be working um, working in unison. I think you should be thinking across them. And, and as Tersha said, people have time to do that now. And we're seeing that on the, on the digital front. Um, and actually, I was, I was looking through some old musical articles this week, and I found a quote from Jesse Sculler, who said, to me, the best merchandise finds a balance between reflecting the artist's brand and values and making a sometimes quirky nod to the specific campaign. Um, and I, I really, really, really like that quote because I think the, be the best merchandise have that connection with the product and with the artist and it communicates something and it kind of, it captures a specific moment in time for that artist or on the journey. Um, so yeah, I, th I think you should be thinking about it as a, as a package solution and, uh, you know, use, use merch to grow your, streaming but equally you use your digital presence to grow your merch sales you know yeah patrick what's what's been your sort of experience and recommendations i mean so yes hen and i uh we do we work across an artist together that we manage um and i don't he's always wanted to do merch um but he also always wanted to be successful at streaming, which we're doing, thankfully i wanted to be you know successful at live which kind of dried up and actually on his own back, we, we launched an EP and he went and rushed out. And if I'm honest, I should have known as his manager, but uh, he went and got all of his merch live. 
because he realized on week one, he's now understood after a year of having good streaming support and we're not knocking it in any way, but he's realized that it's still been really hard for him. And Hen mm. actually came up with me um, to, uh, to speak to some, some students that I teach in, in Lillehammer, Norway at a, a school called Limpi. Um, and that was one, we had a bit of a, a chat and that was one of the things that her and I discussed, we're kind of coming up with it together, but you guys are these young emerging artists as we like to call them, um, you're at the very beginning, you've not even put track one out. And I know that you think that you're gonna put track one out and six months you're gonna be able to be earning a living. Unfortunately, that's quite difficult. Um, so we actually sat in front of these, a bunch of artists that have never even put a song out and said, start thinking about selling stuff. And you could kind of see the gears turning in their head of like, wait, I, mm. I could sell things? And it's like, you've got ideas, you've got songs, you've got concepts. And as we put it to them, don't worry about 100,000 people. You get 50 fans, 50 emails signed up to your mailing list that is your sort of core mm. fan base. Uh, and you get 50 of them to buy something for you amazing and you know they're all asking how do i quit my day job well maybe it's actually thinking about as tarsha said you know making this your business and not waiting until you've got this you know this massive groundswell but actually doing it from day one uh so that these people go away with getting the first edition t-shirt that you can't get anymore because they followed you from day one mm. and people are going where the hell did you get that t-shirt and it's like oh i've been a fan of theirs for years they don't even make this anymore yeah. i'm feeling envy now just by you saying that and you're using a hypothetical example sorry Ham. No, no, i was just saying i i i really agree with what you're saying i think nurturing your early adopters is not only developing a super fan from the get-go but it's also um you're buying yourself a street promotions team you know people that are walking around with your t-shirts or your hats or your tote bags or whatever it might be that you come up with you know it is it is also a promotion of you as an artist and as a brand so, so when we talk about merchandise in 2020 is what we're actually talking about that our sort of definition of, of, a mu of a musician and an artist has changed. There's this old understanding of, oh, you make music, you go on tour and you sell these other things. Is it actually so fundamental to them as an artist that an artist should be thinking, maybe even before their first song, what their first piece of merchandise could be, perhaps? I, I, you know what, like for us, we'd say that, uh, we'd say that artists, uh, you know, like maybe the, the songs and the music is actually marketing to sell the products. Uh, because uh, uh, the products used to be the records with the music on for artists to take home. Now streaming has like zeroed that almost, uh, even though it's on the rise. It's, it's not a viable revenue stream in, in a sense. Like yeah. we can just be honest about that. Um, but merchandise is the thing that it's the physical product that you're, you know, it's the physical, it's the physical product that fans can buy now. Um, so yeah, makes, that makes. And, and when you talk to artists, again, this is anybody, I guess when you talk to emerging artists, well, actually, before I say that, Tosha, how, at what stage in a career can, can realistically, can, a, can an artist start making and selling merchandise? Well, we, we're really lucky to live in a time where everyone has a, enough data to kind of look at who their fans are. They can see it on their Spotify or their, you know, they can see all their things on any, wherever they're, where they're uploading stuff to and they can look on their Facebook and see who their fans are. They think they can sell 50 t-shirts or 50 items or 50 of a product or, you know, the minimum kind of amount you can make uh, a profit on that's when we think the right time is. I think it's always a little silly to prematurely invest in merchandise. You're running a business, you need to do some marketing, you need to let people know who you are, what you're doing, you need to make some connections with fans, and then you need to uh, give them something to buy and something to invest in. 
Right. And do you ever, I mean, this is a question for everybody, really, I guess, but do, when you talk to an artist, maybe maybe Patrick as, as, as well, you know, what you were just saying, when you talk to artists at that stage and you say, hey, you know, actually the thing you're selling is not music, do they, how do they react to that? How do they feel about that? Oh, no, artists hate that. Um, but I, they hate it less now, now that COVID has happened. Uh, now, they, now they're on board. But they did, you know, an artist wants to be considered an artist um, and they often don't look at themselves like a business. And again, that's just this thing of, they are a business. Uh, the music business is called the music industry because it, it's about making money and artists should be about that too. Hmm. Um, with, with, with that, um, you know, especially the fact that, okay, we know where live is right now. I think a lot of artists to kind of, to what you've said there, they start out thinking that my product is my music. Um, maybe a year goes by before they realize that the current ecosystem isn't in a, you know, non-transactional. Their next thought is live. And obviously those two are connected with them of like, okay, I want to have it digital. And then, but as I try to tell them about getting a, you know, actually booking a venue, um, is that the venue is going to ask you, the promoter is going to ask you, what can you sell? Um, and they, we already have to make them think about that, about what room they're going to play in and what can they comfortably draw in. It's about your draw, right? And you're trying to get a bigger draw. We know that. And they take that logical next step. But like you say, the idea of actually making a product, it seems like anathema to them until perhaps they've done a live circuit, realized how much work that is, and actually realized that the, the cash they make from the merch table each night, why am I not doing that? So, you know, maybe this is a really healthy time for artists to start thinking about that. And, you know, to, to quote uh, the wonderful KRS-One, um, artists have never been selling records, as KRS-One would put it to you, in his, uh, his wonderful song, Health, Wealth, and Knowledge of Meself, which I'm sure you're going to go all listen to after this. But he points out the fact that records um, that used to, was well, he says, flip shop, uh, end up in the thrift shop, as in you can get a 50 cent David Bowie or Bob Dylan record. Uh, you can go to the thrift store. You can find these things. The value goes straight down um, after that, that first market. But the idea of the David Bowie brand or the Bob Dylan or the Beatles or whatever is the brand uh, is actually the thing that we've always been selling. It's just that we've gotten this weird thing of this 50-year, 100-year anomaly called the mm. record business of music embodied in plastic, um, which obviously is changing and that's fine. It's the future now. But maybe we need to look back and realize that's what we've always been doing. Mm. We've definitely, music has always been marketing. That's, that's, and record, record labels are marketing companies unless they've got a recording studio, which not, you know, that's not really how it works anymore. Mm. So if we're looking at an era now then, to sort of summarize what we just said, where streaming is, is marketing for something else, you don't make a lot of money from it necessarily, um, and live is out of the picture. Um, so what one thing that a lot of artists have done in some form is switch to live streaming, uh, whether it's playing a gig from their living room or they're doing something on Twitch or like Charlie XCX doing these Zoom calls. And Tush, how would you recommend, first of all, there's a lot of the uh, to everybody debate around that in terms of should you be doing that for free? Should you be charging people to watch these things? Do people want to pay to watch a live stream gig? But people do want to pay for merchandise. So what would be a good way if you were doing some sort of live streaming activity to include merchandise in that to be able to sell that to the people who are watching and becoming fans because of it? It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. You can't, um, you kind of like been on Instagram or in Facebook streaming stuff before for free. And then suddenly start, say to your fans, like I'm removing this and making you pay for it. I think that's, I think it's a wild, irresponsible and kind of disloyal thing to do and a bad way to treat your fans. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the, I think the idea is, is that, you know, um, 
give the contents away for free. I mean, you're practically doing that with streaming anyway, uh, like any streaming. Uh, and, and, you know, get your most devoted fans to buy the merchandise. Um, and making a new product for a specific event or a specific show is a really great way to do that. Making limited amounts that are re relevant to your fans. Um, you know, doing, giving them an opportunity to participate in something that happened once, making something specific for that event, I guess is kind of like a tour t-shirt or maybe re-releasing something if you're doing like a, a, a play of like an album that you've already made. Um, if you do like playing that through somewhere, making, making merch for just that night with that album art where it kind of reinvented that can't be there anywhere else. There's a lot of creative ways to do that and participate in it. And there's also a lot of like economic, like, you know, you can do pre-orders so you don't have to, you don't have to like, like guess what everyone wants to buy. Um, and that can kind of save you on some things as long as you know you can sell a certain amount. But I think, I think merch is a really smart way to, to monetize that. And it's also not, you know, isn't discriminating where people are being excluded because they can't afford a five pound or a 10 pound ticket, um, you know, in the time of a pandemic. Mm. Um, can, can I, I was just wanted to ask the question from your experience because, um, I'd like to lie and say I know a lot more about merch and I'm really good at it. I would love to tell you that. Um, but I'm pretty good at digital marketing. I'll give it that much. Um, and I think we've had a big answer of, let's say, one of one of our favorite partners that gets picked on quite a lot um, for the value gap uh, being YouTube. Um, and those that get picked on quite a lot often respond with, do you realize all the opportunities that we're giving you? And I just wanted to touch it from your experience. Um, you know, where where is the best purchasing experience? How do you feel about sort of integrated checkout that's coming on Instagram or the ability to buy merch on YouTube that's available in the United States or uh, the ability to buy merch on Spotify? How powerful do you see taking the merch to the people on the platforms that they're at um, in tandem with having your own shop that is its own location that you can send people to? Well. Um, I think we know that merch bar on Spotify, for instance, um, doesn't quite work. A lot, not a lot of sales go through. Although it solves like a big problem, um, we're not seeing artists. We're not seeing fans leave the platform, um, which Spotify doesn't want anyway. They don't. They want for, you know. The, going back to the first thing we had, the first kind of bit we spoke about at the beginning about Joe Rogan. The reason they want him is because he has. He can keep people on the platform for two hours at a time without breaking a sweat, and that's what they want. And music doesn't always do that. So. Uh, they don't encourage, like platforms will never encourage you to leave the platform because that their money is made by you spending time on it. Um, so, you know, I think the best thing is to have a really good user experience to make it really easy to remove the obstacles in, in someone purchasing something, but not to focus. I think right now in this time, um, people are on their computers more. This is the first time in like, maybe I think in the last three years that we've seen people um, not buying on mobile and buying from their computers right now, which is the, the, the balance shifted the other way where it was like nearly 70% were buying all from mobile devices. They, it's now 70% all buying from their desktop devices. So, you know, keeping the user experience really clean and easy to do where they can pay on Apple Pay if they're paying on their mobiles, just making that process like ASOS does, you know, they make it super easy for you just to buy, just to make sure that there are no obstacles in the way Putting things on live streaming links has yet to be seen if it works. It's current. It doesn't work in the current format, like on Spotify or you know on YouTube. We don't. We're not seeing like huge sales of things. Even YouTube is linked out out to another website to sell. Yeah. Have you seen a sorry? Have you seen a massive increase in sales since the whole COVID thing? Because uh, of, like a digital distributor, we've just seen like a tidal wave of activity now that people have the time. So I just would assume that it would have been the same for merch platforms. 
Uh, we've seen a huge increase in fans, uh, like coming to buy merch. Definitely, um, when new when new merch is released, we're not saying fans like go for like old merch so much. They want new products, um, and they want to support artists in that way. Um, Higher value items, or, or yeah, I mean, we've not, we're not saying like um, it's not the items haven't been cheaper. I think um, I think this is going to change as things go on as we head into a recession. Um, you know, I think we have to be more um, we have to be a little more inventive and kind of a little more like you know careful about our price points so that we we're inclusive of everyone and everyone can kind of access it and support an artist in a financial way uh without breaking the bank on on whatever that means for them um and that's kind of a global phenomenon we're going to have to deal with we're probably a little luckier in europe than let's say the u.s will be at the end of this um but yeah, there's, there's been an increase in online sales for sure, but um, it's nothing compared to what an artist would sell it live. Just uh, like I, we have to say that most transactions for merchandise always happened at a live show uh, mm. and it'll never be quite like that. And, but we are hopeful that'll come back. With regards to that then, Tasha, I mean, we, 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 oh, sorry, go on. Yes, Patrick, please, yes. Chat, which everybody probably is seeing, but obviously when this gets broadcast back, but Music Glue stat, thank you, Jesse Schiller, saying and that have been saying that there's been a 250% increase year on year. So this is pre-COVID, this is just generally uh, increase on merch coming from from our friends at Music Glue. So that's an interesting stat. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it is a, I mean, you know, people are, it is, merchandise is there to be bought. People want to engage with it. They, they don't have record players. They don't have cassettes you know like they're i mean i have a record player but like different times right uh, <laughs> yeah see this tells it this says something about our age patrick though this <laughs> this, this, this is, is not my house actually that's not my record player ha. <laughs> it's just a backdrop um, he doesn't live in he doesn't live inside at all that's uh, <laughs> you actually you're you're inside you guys you've swapped you you're actually inside a musically white box aren't you that's right that's right you know you you know how he's really into he's such a marketing expert he can make him love so like he's anywhere <laughs> oh that's brilliant i want to i want that i want that it's like a special power um but yeah, there's, there's definitely been an increase online. Um, but live is where we were seeing most of the sales. And live is where artists made the most money if it was um, done efficiently. And if obviously they weren't um, signed into any kind of like advanced deal or like 20% deal with, um, you know, with the merchandise company, um, which, you know, you guys can look into how we work. We don't work like that. We're all about artists making a really profitable businesses because then we'll see them come back and then we can make money from it. So, um, you know, their success is our success kind of thing. But um yeah, live is where it's at, and we've seen online increase. Although, when as soon as the pandemic kind of hit, we saw online fall off thirty percent, which I think was just a big shock to everyone. The whole like the whole situation was a big shock to everyone. So, has we've lost um, Joe, haven't we? Yep, that's all right. We can carry on. <laughs> we can always go with this in spirit. I'm really interested about that, like the higher end market of merchandising, like that you know the super fan bundles, the multiple hundred quid or thousands of quid. Because obviously you wouldn't sell that necessarily in a gig, right? You wouldn't be carrying around boxes, like 700 pound boxes of whatever. So have those kind of sales remained relatively stable, gone up or down or? Oh, I don't know, actually. Um, we don't, uh, we, I, I mean, the, when we've made really special products for people uh, that are like for super fans in that way, it's been part of an album campaign or a release or a re-release schedule. Um, so I don't know if that's, Something we can kind of comment on directly in that sense, but I would assume those would be better off online. I don't think anyone wants to carry home a, a really valuable merchandise 
piece of merchandise uh, after a gig. I mean, we have people that don't want to carry posters home after a gig, so, <laughs> you know. We got Joe back. Oh, he's back. I'm back, yeah, sorry. I keep, obviously, someone in my building is uh, streaming a lot of very high-definition I'm, I'm assuming pornography at this time in the afternoon. And uh, it's, it keeps cutting out. It's not me, though, folks. Um, I don't know if you've covered this, Patrick, but there's a, there's a, a question in the chat, which I, perhaps I'll bring into uh, uh, the conversation. Um, someone, uh, Kristen, hi, Kristen, said, I saw artists selling shout-outs in live streams and coffee chats. So selling small one-on-one -on -one experiences, even if it's just uh, a hello or a, or a short chat. What are your thoughts on that? And does that count as merchandise? Because what, one thing I wrote about recently, actually on Musical.ly is in, in China where the, the, the streaming platform is a bit more nuanced in how people can communicate with their fans and make money from them. They are live streaming and taking tips a bit like on Twitch and doing these shout outs for money. It, it, first, first question is, do you count that as merchandise? And two, could you see a way to move that forwards? And so it does become a kind of merchandise system. I mean, it's definitely a secondary sale of, uh, you know, so you can, you can lump it into that category. Like it's definitely a secondary sale of like that experience. Um, and it's a sale as a result of that experience if they're online and doing that. Um, I mean, it could be, uh, I, you know, I guess it depends on what, uh, like, I guess it this is kind of a cultural thing as well, um, which is something that may come into play is that whether that has value to the fan and if that is something that the fan can keep with them forever or whether that's something, because, and actually you guys are in the digital marketing side of things probably relate is that merch also acts as a marketing tool later down the line as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's whether that, you know, whether it can tick all those boxes and do the same as merch is really the question as to whether it can be considered as merch. But I am, um, you know, like digital downloads on the little cards that came in, um, you know, that came in vinyls, I guess that counts as a, as a, as a, as a music sale. So why wouldn't, another kind of digital version of merch count as yeah. merchandise. Mm. I mean, I mean you've had, you've had an artist recently that you guys have covered a fair bit called Emma McGann, who right before this whole thing happened, she was supposed to set off on an American tour and she was selling um, 20 pound or $20 virtual tour passes, which kind of sits in that crossover between, a, you know, a live experience and a merchandising experience whereby, you know, you gained access to live streams of all the different shows, but she would also, uh, she was also planting a tree per subscriber, um, sending a postcard from the road, inviting them to take, inviting everybody to take part in this like collaborative playlist for the road trip and everything. So I thought that was a really interesting example of something that kind of isn't necessarily clear cut merchandising like a t-shirt, but then sit, sits that nicely in between, you know? I think, yeah, I think it's, if, I think the interesting thing was, would be like, we'd probably measure it by how you could sell it and replicate it and, you know, how much money was being made off it, how profitable it was. Um, that would really, that would really dictate whether we would ever like consider something like that much because we're in the business of helping artists build their businesses. So. And I, I think there's a, I think there's a powerful point here, especially coming off of, uh, I mean, we've just published a report with the BPI today on Superfans, um, which is out there. People should definitely read that based on an event that we recently did. Um, but we were talking a lot about Superfans. And, you know, when we talk about streaming, I often tell people, please don't look at your uh, listener numbers because they, they, they ebb and flow. Uh, we always try to get people to focus on their followers. And again, to kind of go back, you know, to these emerging artists, explain to them that if you've got 10 or 50 super fans, that actually giving them a, you know, the number one reason in retail, as my, my mother used to always tell me owning a retail store, that someone didn't buy something when they walk into your store is that no one asked them to. 
Yeah. And how many times we're not actually going out and saying, not being upset about how few of them are, but just being thankful that you've got mm-hmm. enough of them. And I suppose we see this on Patreon where you make these super, you know, top value items. Maybe there's five bundles um, uh, of something that's super exclusive and you only need to sell five of them is the mm-hmm. thing. And then you've got the, the, the tier, you know, the tiers. And I think that's really powerful. How do you, how do you play to that? I mean, I think, um, yeah, it, it's like there are you getting your super fans and, and keeping your super fans requires a financial commitment. That's that's the music industry has taught us that um, if they are big spenders, then, yeah, you need to accommodate them. If they want to give you more money, you absolutely need to make things that accommodate that and accommodate that in any way possible. And it is a business and you do need to ask out. You do need to ask your fans to spend. But it, I think artists are almost like they're they're apologetic. In, in many ways about it being a business. And I think the one thing that this, that COVID has brought to this is that artists are now really serious about their business and the things that they can control within it and selling limited products and merchandise and uh, super bundles and uh, connecting with, you know, 10 fans uh, that'll spend a lot of money and that will help them along the way has become really important to them and has become, they see the value of it now, um, which is something that we've been preaching for years. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a wonderful place for things to kind of be right now. What are the most common mistakes that artists make around merchandise, whether it's the timing of it or the type of merchandise or not pushing it? What are are those common mistakes? Uh, The biggest one that affects merchandise being successful is overstocking it, um, making too many items uh, and keeping it in a warehouse and letting it lose money. Uh, Signing big merchandise advances. If you, if you're going to be like a big artist, that's one of the biggest things we see that artists make is that they give away so much revenue for a small advance in the front and they never see another penny out of merchandise again. And that, that really just kills off a huge amount of revenue for artists. And uh, it's just the one thing we, we always want to say is like, don't listen to your manager and don't take an advance on this one because you're going to like, we, we can see a band that's going to do it. You know, you can, you can feel it. You can feel like when they drop 50 t-shirts and they sell overnight and they play two shows, you know they're like doing amazing things and you know they're going to be a big merch band. And then all you want to do is just be like, please do not take a merch advance because you're going to make so much more money out of merchandise than anything else because it's going to be profitable for you as long as you don't take it. So, you know, um, that's, and also, yeah, quality, just make quality products. Please make when you say quality, products. what do you mean? Do you, are you talking about the, the actual physical quality or are you talking yeah. about something else? I'm talking about, I'm talking about things that are, um, number one, like good products. So they're relevant to your fans and your audience. And number two, like they're not like, they're not products that are going to fall apart. If you really, you know, um, if you really want your, if you really want your fans to like engage with the brand, you want them to wear your product every single day for like the next 10 years and it never, never like be broken or messed up. You don't want to buy a t-shirt that'll be washed once and it's, it's over, you know, you'll, you'll actually come to resent them. I mean, uh, that's happening to me right now. This is a very Aww. old, it was very expensive Grateful Dead t-shirt. It holds up. Uh, I've had it for years. It doesn't break down. It was a expensive when I bought it, but it's, it's a nice piece of merch. That said, and I'm not going to shame him, but uh, one of my favorite artists I went and saw in Atlanta got the exclusive tour shirt uh, years after this, and it's upstairs falling to rags. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I love that t-shirt. But if you just, I would have paid for it. I would have paid an extra 10 bucks at the time. If you just got something sustainable, which is a big deal to me, uh, if you just got something that I know that I felt good about, because I've had, I've actually had artist friends who sell me a $5 t-shirt and I'm like, 
where did this come from? I don't know. I got it from cheap place on site on uh, online. I'm like, so do we know if this came from a sweatshop? I love your band. Are you selling me sweatshop merch? And to actually think about that and the long term effect, as you say. I mean, it's vital. Um, considering you know, we have a huge opportunity to educate your fans, and uh, you know, with uh, making things making things sustainably, fans will spend a little more for a high quality product. The touch test that retail's been doing for years when you walk in and you feel a t-shirt that's got a soft enzyme wash on it and you're like i love you like that's the same thing that happens at the merch stand uh as long as you let your fans engage with it which i'm sure any merch table if it's you selling it or if you have a merch seller they'll let their fans touch it and, and know how good it is people don't mind spending that kind of money also um you know otherwise just making sure that the quality is evident on there i i don't think anyone wants to spend 10 pounds to get a, a really bad item of merchandise when they could spend 15 to get something great you know and i think people do care about where their products come from and if they don't you as an artist should because that's good business yeah patrick really good question in the uh, q a yeah. um you're talking about the the top one where, yes. where we might be being too u.s centric uh we've yes. been, been told for all of us that are none of us based in the united states um and one of us only half american but we what we with Tosha, are you looking across the globe when we talk about this and is there i'm i'm one? talking about mostly the uk to be honest uh that's mm. where we're, that's where most of our artists are based or this is the market we deal in mainly um we have a lot of u.s based artists and we're working on a lot of projects in the u.s but um i've I've kind of been talking about how things are here. In, in terms of the question, what do you think about in terms of an artist, maybe bigger artists, the, the example they gave was Drake, you create merchandise for yourself to sell under your brand as an artist or creating a separate brand that goes alongside you? I mean, you can do, you can do either or. Um, I would say that, I, I would say it depends on your power of marketing at that point. Uh, I wouldn't create a brand I would capitalize on the first business first. Uh, you know, I do think this is, these are all the things that would help an artist grow a successful business is that maybe starting in a different brand right away isn't the smart move. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to grow your first primary business first before you open up like a little subgenre of it. Um, it also kind of depends on the dynamics within a band, right? Because that's always very complicated. Mm. Not everyone's a mm. full band member or not everyone has an interest in the, the business of merchandise. So... And I think there's an important note here just to, to be devil's advocate um, and to go the, the, the artist that, that we work with, Ruben Donson, um, his merch is actually Passion People's Club, which is his label name um, that he puts, we go through CD Baby, but it's his label name. Um, and his whole idea, because he's a producer and a songwriter and an artist, is that he's starting from the, from the beginning to try to get people to get name recognition about what is Passion People's Club? Well, right now, it's the thing that he types in when he distributes his releases. He's now got merch. The idea is to grow it so that, and I think this is really important for a lot of artists. And when we say artists, let's also talk about songwriters and producers, that if you can actually take a bit of the weight off of your artist project um, and actually balance it out a little bit, and I think he's actually quite clever that he's spreading out Passion People's Club. So eventually, when this label that that sort of, well, we, we is, uh, once we've got a roster and he's actually bringing production people through, um, we've maybe laid some groundwork for actually having, having a, a brand where people, you know, start recognizing it. So there, mm. there's, you know, I can see both sides to that. And it, cre it creates a bit of curiosity around the whole brand as well, you know? Um, seeing Ruben Daunton on a t-shirt, you're going to assume that it's an artist, whereas a Passion People's Club brand might make you more inclined to look up the brand and become familiar with it. Maybe. I, th 
I think always building it, I think because uh, we're dealing with like, I mean, he's building a business, which is everything you want, right? He's not just doing one thing, he's doing many things and he's given it a name, um, which I think is exactly the right way to treat it. Um, and not all artists treat their, you know, not all artists are self, are, you know, are doing, are doing all those things. Um, and where they are, yeah, like put it, put like, you know, give it a name and, and run it like a business and give it, give it like, give it the room to grow. Before we wrap up, there's actually a question that's popped up in the chat, which perhaps is, uh, leads us into the, the end part, which I was going to say, what is next? Um, Kristen said um, they're, they're working in the USA dealing with global artists and said that in today's, we're saying that it's a marketing tool, but also an income stream, merchandise. In today's climate, they're saying that hearing that meaningful engagement is the name of the game. Um, will there be a shift in how these adjunct offerings like merchandise will be tracked in the future uh, for sales if engagement is the sort of online name of the game at the moment? Um, I mean, I guess in a way this comes back to like the the billboard, like if we're going to talk about the US now, um, billboard is looking at how to make a merchandise chart and how that can chart. So I think, yeah, there's, you know, the, it, I don't know if online, I think, I don't know if, we, if we're classifying sales and merch as online engagement or not, but I think there is, you know, the future definitely looks to be set to gears like as if it's geared towards physical products that aren't music related. Mm. Uh, and online engagement, I mean, if you're in the business of kind of being uh, like growing an audience online, if you're like want to be an influencer in that sense, then maybe that counts as something. But I, I kind of feel like the verified social media tags do that for online engagement. Okay. And in terms of the future, then we've spoken a lot about artists sort of transitioning away from being just musicians to being a sort of a brand, a creative brand, making not just music creatively, but communicating with their audience creatively in a bunch of different ways through merchandise, but also through perhaps live streaming and things like that. We're talking about, you've mentioned, Tosha, that a lot of sales go through live, but we don't know when that's coming back realistically. Do you think that in the meantime, or even beyond that, what we're looking at, what is the future in your opinion? And are we potentially looking at a, a, a shift in, in, in these sales will probably perhaps increase online and, and people will find new ways to do this? And how will that happen? Um, I mean, there's, you know, yeah, they're selling alongside live events or one-time events. There's selling merchandise there, but nothing and nothing will ever, ever replace the emotional connection fans have or make with you at a show. Um, and I, I think it will be back. I think this is an opportunity to build uh, a business out further online. Uh, and it gives everyone the time to actually devote their time to doing it. Whereas they may have been rushing to, uh, you know, go to festivals and get, get, get bookings in and go on tours. And because it's a great way to, you know, market yourself and also get new fans and, and make money selling merchandise. But, um, yeah, I think the future is definitely going to grow itself out in a bit of more of an e-commerce way. E-commerce has kind of never really had its day and it's about time it did. Um, but live music will be back. I don't think as humans we could live without that. I think that's something we've had from the very beginning of time when we sat in drum circles. Mm. Uh, and so I don't think, um, I think live, the live music experience um, will become, you know, uh, what artists need to do is again run it like a better business uh, make it more efficient make it profitable mm. and do everything you can to make it that um so i think i see the future of it as artists hopefully taking back more control of their their businesses mm. and uh growing it online um 
maybe being able to get new fans as well from online in this time is really important uh, where live streaming can reach millions of people anywhere in the world. Uh, if you do it at the right time and uh, you know, and, and giving you room to kind of grow more into, you know, have more places to visit when you get yeah. to go back out on the road, but live music is the maximum point of opportunity. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think we'll as humans will ever be able to live without that. So I think it'll be back and I think it'll be back in a really big way, even if it is in five years time. And in the meantime, e-commerce can finally have its moment and be done right. Patrick and Hen, what, what are your recommendations? You work with lots of artists well, in different I capacities. Was say, I think there's a really healthy thing to what we're understanding right now when live's been taken off the table. And I don't think, you know, we all of us want it back, of course, and it's, it's core. Um, but I think that there's a, a better understanding of people using digital platforms. I mean, the reason we're doing this TV show now is because we can't go anywhere. I'm literally not allowed to fly to other countries. So we're doing this. And I think people are going to come out of this, hopefully, and understand that there's nothing like that live experience. That said, if you have other ways of connecting with people, they can supplement and work together. And it's not about replacing, um, you know, as soon as we can get on airplanes again and we can go talk, then hopefully we should be doing that. But hopefully we think a little bit more about which times we do that and we make sure that we save that for our planet, for our carbon emissions, and also lean on the fact that we do have all these digital technologies and evolve into how we use them to try and create more of those experiences and I guess bridge the gap between sort of digital posting into a void and you know a live experience where you're up front and the artist looks you in the eyes. Yeah. I think from my perspective, the, I think the merchandising world is going to look incredibly fascinating in the short to medium and even the long term, actually, because there's nothing quite like difficult times to kind of accelerate innovation and new ideas and coming up with new ways of doing things when, when enough option has been taken away from you. And another point, I think, you know, for, for say, Stu's kids who are digital natives, they've grown up with X amount of devices around them. They are used to everything being quite, you know, a digital experience. They're willing to pay $10, £10, whatever that Travis, the, the different Travis Scott skins were like. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the developments are going to be within that space when they're not kids that have grown up going to gigs and buying t-shirts. They're kids that have grown up playing video games and buying skins to represent their fandom. And I, th I yeah, I think the merch merchandising space is going to look very, very interesting in the coming years. Mm, fascinating. And one of the things that actually I wrote about recently on Music Ally was a, an American startup who um, are making... Uh, uh, limited edition virtual items, if you like. So like a, like a trading card, if you like, of saying, I was at this gig in this year. So you can look back and prove you were at Ed Sheeran's, you know, first, one of the first 10 gigs. Uh, th those kind of things. And then that, that little badge can live on Instagram, go on Spotify, can go everywhere and follow you around online and show you're the super fan. I think those things might be a really interesting place to look. At. And that is merchandise, right? I mean, that's, yeah, it's not so physical. But... That, you know, this is why Facebook has launched things like, identifying top fans Pe people like having those ha ha have been part of the the kind of tribalism around an artist and mm. being early adopters um yeah so if you're an artist define yourself clearly so that fans can define themselves connecting to you using merchandise yeah i mean we're we're advocates of merchandise make those financial relationships with fans last and stick and uh you know worthwhile 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. But I think that's been a, a really interesting dig into uh, the kind of options available for merchandise at the moment and what people are doing. So uh, thanks ever so much, Tosh. I'm really grateful to have you here. And if people want to get in touch with you personally or look at your uh, at, at Terrible Merch, what do they do? I mean, you can find me, uh, me personally on Instagram or LinkedIn if you're very nerdy. Um, uh, otherwise, yeah, get in touch via um, Terrible Merch. We have a little contact form. I check in there at least every few days and reply to people. Um, and yeah, we'd be delighted to even just help you guys with questions or you can get on Twitter. Some of us, we, we're on Twitter for questions. We get a lot of DMs. Um, you can slide in there. Uh, but yeah, we're really, we're available and happy to help with any questions or anything really, even if you guys just need advice, obviously we don't work with everyone, but you know, if you want to send us your music and we try and twist your arm into, if if we all like each other, we can maybe go on a merch date. A merch date. Wow. That's, that's good. I like the sound <laughs> of that. That's great. And uh, the, the link to Terrible Merch and the contact form is in the chat room right now. Uh, so thanks ever so much, Tosha. It'd be great to have you back in a few months, uh, assuming we're still doing this show then, and, uh, and see what has changed and what has happened yeah. in the meantime. Um, yeah, I'd love you. I think, I think we'll see some live streaming platforms actually up and running by then. So we'll have a new idea of, of, where, of how much works out on those. So it'll be an interesting Maybe we, time. Maybe we can dig into some of that data and find out exactly. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. Thank you. Now, uh, hang around because uh, every week we t- turn attention now uh, a little bit like the cooking segment in a morning show on TV, we turn our attention uh, to Hen at CD Baby. And Hen and the team at CD Baby have been looking for positive news that's happening in this difficult time. Uh, and Hen, you every week you pick something new and tell us about it. What's happening? This is an interesting one this week. I, I, um, I, I, I like this vision. I feel like the jolly cook in the corner. It's, it's nice. <laughs> Uh, well, so this week we thought we'd do a follow-up on one of the previous campaigns that we talked about, and that was uh, the uh, Music Venues Trust Save Our Venues campaign, which was um, is a fundraising campaign. They've identified 560 venues across the uh, across Britain that is at critical risk during the Corona crisis. But uh, the good news of the week is that they've been able to raise so much money now that they've been able to take 140 grassroots venues off the critical list, which means that they are safe. So every little bit helps. Um, and I think we should probably put up the link so people can go and donate if they feel passionate about their grassroots venues. Um, they're so important for emerging artists and for the kind of the cultural expression of the country. So it's great to see. Um, yeah. That. Remarkably good news. And it does sort of tie into the same, like closer relationship between fans and the artists, doesn't it? Fans are, are recognizing now that they, they have to pres- um, engage in a different way, perhaps, with yeah. money and with artists and with venues to support the thing they love. Exactly, exactly. But I think it's important that when all of this is over, that we all have somewhere to go that where we can watch the next, whoever it might be, and have a tepid beer and just, yeah, in- enjoy. I will hold you to that as yeah. a fan of tepid beer. Um, uh, quickly, just jumping back, we had a question from uh, Kristen who said, what is the name of the company I mentioned uh, that does virtual uh, trading cards and virtual uh, merchandise? That is Fanaply. Uh, I will put the link in the uh, chat uh, now, uh, selling virtual limited edition blockchainified 
uh, trading cards. Um, something interesting. So yeah, great. I mean, and that would be a great thing, actually, wouldn't it? If you could get a virtual trading card for each of the toilet venues around the UK that you've been to, and you could prove your prove your the longevity of your love for emerging artists. I mean, all these things. It's all these things would be fantastic ways for people to engage and show their their fandom and and, and to engage. Uh, cool. Okay. Thank you, Hen. And now, um, uh, uh, Patrick. I'm going to put a shameless plug in here now. You can see over my shoulder the Music Ally uh, Creative Entrepreneur Program. Um, can you explain this a little bit, what this is and uh, yeah, what it's doing? Sure. And we'll, we'll make sure to put a link in. Um, deadlines are coming up soon. For those in the UK, it's a partnership with Youth Music. It's Music Ally's Creative Entrepreneurship Program. Um, trying to put the ally in Music Ally. Uh, so we've been, this is the first one of these we've done globally. And we're trying to find partners around the globe. Um, sorry that it's UK focused. That's where we happen to be. Um, but we're looking for partners around the world. But if you do happen to be in the UK um, with our partnership through Youth Music, uh, we're basically trying to identify uh, young musicians and creatives, uh, possible young music business professionals that maybe can't afford um, some of our services uh, and just trying to make sure that we're actually giving back. So it's a great program. Um, as I said, we're about to have to close down the, uh, the applications on that. And then we're right. going to be providing our learning hub materials, uh, our subscription, our information and news, mentoring sessions with, with myself and the team. Uh, I'm really just trying to help identify talent. And all of this will end with an award ceremony as well. Um, where we actually go in, there's a, now a link in there as well. well. We'll make sure to link out to it. Um, but yeah, thank you, Joe. It's, uh, it's something that we're really, really excited about. Hopefully we'll be able to, to roll this out around the rest of the globe um, as we work with partners that can help us to find those in need um, and make sure that we're you know, always trying to give back with everything that we do. Yeah, and a great opportunity for young people to come up with some innovative merchandise as well to, uh, to make that connection. Yeah, fantastic. Hen, I forgot to say, if people want to get in touch with you at CD Baby and, 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 uh, and talk to you directly or, or see what CD Baby has to offer, what, how can they do that? Um, so the easiest email to remember is probably uk at cdbaby.com. Okay. <laughs> or if you're feeling brave, you can try to spell my name, which is Henrietta with an E at the end at cdbaby.com. Um, so yeah, if you have some distribution needs. Uh, just put your personal mobile number into the chat, Hen, so just don't worry. Oh, yeah. Text <laughs> her anytime. Hit her up. I'd love like midnight on Saturday WhatsApps about distribution questions. So please hit yeah, me up. Thank you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the sweet spot. Uh, and so uh, there you go. Next week, um, just as a reminder, we're joined again remarkably by a superstar DJ, Martin Jensen, with nearly a billion plays on Spotify to his name, who's been uh, doing some innovative live streaming, connecting to millions of his fans simultaneously and I presume has been uh, flogging merchandise to them as well, which is the right thing to do. And so uh, he's going to be talking to us about exactly how to, how to connect with your audience. So a, a good sort of partner um, uh, panel to go with this one, really, because if you put the two parts together, you can make some money and connect with lots of people. That's very good, isn't it? It's, uh, and I would love to say we plan for that to happen in that order, but it's a complete mistake. And it just randomly happened like that. But it should be a really good one. So we're looking forward to him joining us. Uh, now you can, uh, if you'd liked, um, what you heard that you can try and get a, a music ally trial subscription for a couple of weeks at musically.com subscribe and you can get the daily briefing and analysis uh from Stu, who is here earlier and hear all this great analysis that we've been talking about today um if you want to see this again uh it'll be on youtube very shortly there'll be a podcast of this show up next week uh which is available uh, inevitably on spotify to try and drag people away from listening to music of course uh and um you can follow music ally all over the place uh including twitter at music ally facebook at music ally fb 
And again, it's in chat, but please do email anthony at musically.com. So thank you very much for joining us. Have we got uh, our licensing deal with Spotify yet for the podcast? Or we'll talk about that after. We, we can talk about that, but okay. I want some heavy monetization and maybe some merch to flog on this as well. I want to really maximize the potential of that. Uh, we'll all be wearing our own uh, Music Ally TV t-shirts next week, hopefully. Too, you know, I yeah, I, yeah, look, I mean, if you, got, if you want to make merch that, that you love and you love enough to wear, then you, you're hitting a sweet spot already. So... Fabulous. We can talk. Let's, let's we can we can we can yeah. leverage <laughs> that brand into some into some nice soft t-shirts. Yeah, I mean, I, I I you know I love you guys. The music ally thing is you guys are one of my favorites. Um, we always enjoy talking to you. It's been a pleasure. It's been yeah. a pleasure. So thank you, Tosha. But we're very very grateful uh, for you joining us. And uh, really, again, really hoping to have you back. Uh, oh, yeah, in I'll the be future back. to see how things are going. Great. Anytime. We can't keep you away. Good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and as always, Hen, it's been an enormous pleasure having you here and your input. Thank you as always. Patrick in the Grateful Dead t-shirt is much loved. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe, as always, uh, for, for powering through this and being the host. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go now and find my neighbor who has been uh, cannibalizing all the internet and going to go murder them and <laughs> or tell them not to use it on Fridays at this time for future reference. Invite them, invite them to the Zoom call, Joe. That's a better idea, isn't it? There you yeah. go. That's how you, that's how you do it. You invite them to the party. That's, yeah, and I'll sell them something. That's the, that's the, the mindset of a, a marketing merchandiser there. There you uh, go. So, thank you, Tosha. You can take 10%. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, thank you. I feel the same, everybody. Uh, look out for it on YouTube. Watch it again and on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. This has been Music Ally TV. And see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.